0: Welcome to the Think Funny Podcast. This is Aaron Donnelly. I'm here with my co-host, Nate Sadler. Hey, everybody. And Matt Donnelly. Hi, guys. And Chuck Hoffman. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you. And Chuck is a longtime friend, a college buddy of uh, Matt's. Uh, They go way back, and Chuck is uh, Elvis Aficionado. Uh, Today, we're covering Elvis, the king. Um, And so, Chuck is uh, uh, gracious enough to come on to help us talk about Elvis. So, Chuck, what focus is most interesting to you about Elvis? Well,
1: what got me into Elvis was I had a layover in the Memphis airport, probably in in 92 or 93, and uh, it was unplanned. I ended up buying a book on Elvis sightings, and I ended up Mm -hmm. reading the book, and and I wrote an essay about it in high school, and then one of my class requirements to graduate from high school was we had to... uh, give a senior speech in front of the entire student body, and I did mine on Elvis sightings. (laughs) And my initial foray into the world of Elvis was I only knew Elvis from the Vegas era and the jumpsuits and the sequins and sort of, you know, he was kind of a caricature of himself almost. But then later, probably in college and then after college, I really got to know him as a person and an artist and then I really developed a, a sincere appreciation for who he is. So that that's mm-hmm. sort of my Elvis story. Now I appreciate all of it, every stage of his life and, and just the whole thing.
0: Can I just throw in a little uh, caveat there to Fat Elvis is that, he weighed two hundred and fifty five pounds, which is the same amount that I weigh right now. <laughs> I was like, wait, I was watching that documentary. I was like, I wear the same as fat Elvis right now. <laughs> that's a that's a sobering fact to learn.
2: You might have a couple inches on Elvis though.
0: I think I do, yeah. As I don't far think as he Elvis, was
2: really all that fat. I just think anybody in a jumpsuit that's probably not that flattering. <laughs> He was yeah. just big bone. yes.
0: And the body hair doesn't do you any favors. So, regarding Elvis uh, still being alive, what are the main theories? Are they still, is that still out there in the zeitgeist?
1: You know, just a couple of weeks ago, there was another Elvis sighting, or, or a couple months ago, there was, a, somebody thought that they saw a groundskeeper. Um The Elvis sightings thing is is really interesting There is one theory that uh, the date of his death, August 16, 1977, adds up to 2001. That was a sign to the true believers, because Elvis would open up his shows uh, during the Vegas era with 2001, the theme Mm -hmm. from 2001 Space Odyssey, which was also Sprock Zarathustra. So people picked up on that. Elvis was also really big into numerology. So, there may be some significance there. One of the other things that, that people talk about as another sign to the believers was um, his middle name is misspelled on the tombstone. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, he was Elvis Aaron with one A Presley, and the tombstone has it with two A's. And, and there are some people on both sides of that. Some people say that Elvis wanted it with two A's because he was into numerology. And Aaron with the second A was a higher number, so it vibrated at a higher frequency, which was better. Uh, some people, like I said, think that it's more of a, a sign to the true believers. So yeah, it, it started off when, I think the first one was when someone heard someone checking in to a flight under the name John Burroughs, and that was a name yeah. that Elvis used at, at hotels. And it's kind of interesting when you read the letter that Elvis wrote to Nixon when he was trying to meet Richard Nixon, uh, he actually told him to to call him at this hotel, and he was checked in under the name John Burroughs.
0: And that flight was going to Argentina?
1: I think it was. I think it was.
0: Right. And then there's rumors of down in Argentina of a Pan Am flight coming in that didn't usually come in or something.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of mystery surrounding it. Part of it was also that, that people believed that Elvis was working either as a confidential informant or as a, a secret agent, um, and the mob was after him, so he had to fake his death. Some people think that he just wanted to kind of get away. I, I watched one documentary where some of the Memphis Mafia guys said that he was going to fire the colonel and take a year off and go to Hawaii and just relax and come back better than ever, Um and then I think: what do you think
0: about the Colonel in general?:
1: I have mixed feelings on the Colonel. Uh, <laughs> on the one hand,
2: some damn good chicken.:
1: We, we don't know <laughs> what the career trajectory would have been without the Colonel. The colonel came yeah. in, he stepped in, as, in his, as his manager, I think around 56, and he shepherded right. the career through Elvis's time in the service. And then he got out of this service and he, you know, really orchestrated the movie career and, and all of that. Uh, so we don't know, would the Elvis we know now, been better, worse, different without the Colonel. But then the Colonel had a very unfair deal with Elvis and I think took advantage of Elvis. And I, I don't know how much the Colonel cared about Elvis um, other than the fact that Elvis was really the golden goose, so to speak. So. And that was one I, I,
3: of the yeah. conspiracy theories, was that perhaps the colonel had Elvis killed?
1: That's one of them, because if you, you read different things that people say about the autopsy, it, w- it was ruled death by cardiac arrest, something like that. But then some people say that the way he fell off the toilet, uh, he was continuing to breathe, which wouldn't have happened after the event is described in the, um, the autopsy, uh, because he had carpet fibers in his nose. So homicide has been mentioned as a, a possible uh, means of death.
0: I have a really terrible joke that I'm just proud of that just hit me. Let's hear it. A few minutes ago when he was, uh, so he, so if he did die, he literally died on the toilet. And uh, I read something that said that he died literally taking a shit, like the force of pressure caused him to have a heart attack. And so he crapped out.
2: Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> save that one for twitter and you need more oh. <laughs> I'll try that. Yeah. so matt what is yeah. it, what would be the motivation for uh the colonel doing that i guess i haven't heard that one uh he's greedy and he wanted uh A
3: gambling debt yeah he was in he was in debt uh, uh and he wanted to get 50 percent of the profits from any post uh, elvis death proceeds yeah that he, was, apparently he really had a concern. plan
1: to to monetize the whole death of elvis he had a whole marketing plan surrounding that too because
0: hmm. when elvis died his estate was only worth a few million dollars because by that time his career was in real decline uh colonel wouldn't let him tour the world because i what i've heard is the colonel was an illegal alien and he couldn't he couldn't go out of the united states essentially um, Elvis, you know, thought that would be a way to really revitalize his career, wouldn't let him do it. And the book that Elvis's Memphis mafia guys wrote, they did a tell all book on Elvis came out only a few days before his death. I don't know. just, it is weird timing. And obviously Elvis has made a ton of money immediately after his death, you know, versus what he had before.
3: Well, I also read um, that th- before Graceland uh, became a thing, uh, they wanted to seize, they wanted to sell the property. But that his widow said, "Hey, we can make a lot more money if we opened it to the public." And uh, what a great decision that was! Have, have any of you visited Graceland?
0: Yeah, yeah. The the greatest thing is that is the rope between the the stairs. Nobody goes upstairs, right? And they, the theory is, the rumors are that it's a time capsule up there, that all of Elvis's stuff has been left exactly as it was the day he died down to like his toiletries on the counter. And his brute cologne is still there. Is the book and that the he read still one- there?
3: The book that he was reading on the toilet? <laughs> yeah.
0: The only, uh, the only people that are allowed there are the curator of Graceland uh Lisa Marie and Priscilla and there was a fourth person that got his way up there which was Nicolas Cage when he married uh Lisa Marie apparently he got into the upstairs
3: oh that slide slide! but it's
0: yeah but it's just a, like a velvet like rope and you're just looking at the upstairs as you walk into the house and you're like I could make a run for this I could kick open the door I could do it you know what's gonna happen I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet but uh my, my favorite thing about visiting Graceland was, I don't know if I went during a slow season or something, but there was hardly anybody there. And the tour, I was down in the basement, um, where his pool room was and he had this media room, you know, it's all awesome, like seventies technology, like decked out and carpet on the walls and ceiling and. Anyway, the tour left and I was like, I wonder how long I can just hang here with no one else in the basement with me. And it was like a good five solid minutes. I just kind of sat down and acted like I was just hanging in Elvis's basement. It's pretty cool. Um, did this chimpanzee, yeah, really cool,
3: did chimpanzee molest you while you were
0: there? <laughs> we should talk about that. That's Classic. <laughs> they had a chimpanzee named Scatter. <laughs> and uh, that would get drunk and and pull up girl skirts apparently.
3: Yeah, Elvis uh-huh. didn't drink. Uh he gave all his liquor to the chimpanzee, I guess. <laughs> he didn't drink cuz that's bad for you. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. yeah. I loved uh I listened to so I was working and this last couple of weeks I've been listening to Elvis documentaries and stuff and this one was on it's on YouTube. It's 5 hours of the Memphis Mafia guys uh, sitting on a couch and talking. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a weird experience. It really makes you hate them and love them. And because all they are, are a bunch of like really unattractive fat guys that hung around Elvis, milked off of Elvis. And just for rowdy, I actually made up a few, com- I had an idea for a comedy bit was to just impersonate the, one of the Memphis Mafia guys and tell some of their stories. I might add that in later. Hearing them talk about getting women and how, how, how the girls had to go through the gauntlet of them before they could get to Elvis, it's just, like, gross. <laughs> and, like, you could tell they were just drunks, and they just go out and be rowdy, you know? They were just the Memphis Mafia. Well,
3: that's all right, Mama. That's all right for you. That's all right,
0: And now, a very special edition of That Was Elvis by members of the Memphis Mafia. So me and Bobby Sue was, of course, fixing to get married. And uh, we was a high school sweetheart, see. And uh, we were up at the altar, and back doors open, and of course, here comes Elvis, storming down the altar. And uh, he grabs Bobby Sue's hand and takes her into the pastor's office and makes love to her. He comes back out, and she's, of course, all disheveled, and uh, Elvis takes his place in line at the groomsman as the best man. And I turn around, and I say, Doggone you, Elvis, you old hound dog. And, uh, of course, the boys out there, they're all just breaking up, and Elvis just kind of gives me that casual smile, as he does, you know. He just had a charm about him, you know. He was just He was just a king. <laughs>
4: So we were up all night again and Elvis had this idea. We was watching TV of course, Elvis saw it was watching the Helen Keller story, so uh he got he got fixed to have this idea. He told us go out. I want you to go out there. I want you to find all the babies in Memphis that that have been that are both deaf and blind. So uh, we had to go out there. And we had to find all those babies, round up all them babies, and the parents, of course, come down to Graceland. Uh, Elvis had us go out also and buy all these. They had these toys there that deaf and blind children could play with, and, and they had all these knobs and you could push them this way and that, and and uh, and the babies that could feel it. So we lined them all up, and then Elvis said, All right, boys, now get out your BB guns. And in front of these parents there, we just started shooting at them toys. Boy, we had these BB guns just flying. You could, you know, I tell you what. Of course, here comes Elvis. He comes out the basement at Graceland with an AK-47. He just starts exploding those toys. <laughs> then he went down the line and took a shit on each one. Then he gets up and goes over to piano, and he plays the most beautiful version of Crying in the Chapel, you ever heard. And that was just the way he was. He was generous that way.
0: So one night, we was out on the bridge down at the south end of Memphis. And uh Elvis had all these prostitutes lined up on the bridge and there must have been about damn near 20 of them and then he gets Scatter up there and he goes Scatter get up there and go push them prostitutes off that bridge (laughs) and Scatter gets up there of course and he's a turpin in holler and the girls screaming and then one by one he just pushes them straight off the bridge and I tell you what Elvis goes have you ever seen a prostitute bounce like that (laughs) and uh yeah and that's but he loved his mama and he was real tore up when she died And he also loved uh, gospel quartets, like there's one called the Stamps. J.D. Sumner had this really low voice. you probably hear him interviewed a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one is called the the Blackwood uh, Quartet. I actually met uh the the lead of that he came to my my church and, and like you know these guys are all has-been washer up now old-timers they travel around to churches and just sing and anyway he came by the church and and we took him out to dinner and and i was trying to grill him for elvis knowledge and he was a classic memphis mafia 70s type of guy like he like they all wear these uh polyester brown they're not jeans they're like kind of slacks <laughs> Like, and um, they have, uh, I'm
2: picturing Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite.
0: Yeah, exactly. And their boots, they're not cowboy boots. They're just kind of a leather boot. Yep. And then they, <laughs> yeah, you know, the guy and their hair is dyed and, and thinning. And anyway, but there is one thing I took out of that is that I wrote a little jingle that like I've probably sung hundreds of times to myself after I met this guy. And I, uh, I tried it in front of the church but I didn't get a big laugh, but it goes like this. It's, it's my Elvis impersonation. I do, uh, because I shook his hand, right? And he knew Elvis. So I, my jingle is, because it ain't no small thing to shake the hand of the man who shook the hand of the king.
2: <laughs> that, that deserves a better reaction. I like
0: that. <laughs> And then it was like crickets. I was like, okay, moving on. <laughs>
2: and they're like, what else you got?
0: Also, I knew a guy who, um, old because i used to work at the motorhome factory this guy is old timer used to sell used motorhomes and he was just a, a funny guy anyway he was uh he was at the hospital when they pulled up with elvis's body in the uh, ambulance that was his claim to fame as he saw him get him out of the ambulance on the stretcher and roll him in and i think he went in and tried to talk to people in there and and uh the rumors were or the story was of course that Elvis was getting all kinds of drugs from every everybody that he could get it from but that guy also his name was Jim Gilligan i'm going off on tangents now but uh Jim Gilligan uh classic 70s uh, used motorhome salesman guy same outfit as the memphis mafia guys but i'd be working at my desk he'd come up to me and be like he'd start midway through a story and one time he goes so so and he like starts patting me and he's like so i was in the ozarks in 1975 selling bolt -bolt calls out of the back of my car and that's how he starts a story (laughs) and then uh one time he came up to me and was like so so, so, so Barber's Streisand's second album, really just the pinnacle. Just the, the pinnacle of the vocal. Anyway, you get back to work. You get back to work. He would come up to me and do that kind of thing. The classic. Chuck, do you want to talk about the tape, the Elvis tape book that came out? Do you know much about that?
1: I, I do. I know a little bit about that. So, yeah, there was this tape that was passed along uh, to someone. Did anybody... Have a chance to check out Bill Bigsby's special called the Elvis Files. Mm. Do you guys remember Bill Bigsby? Yep, Bruce Banner also directed yeah. like 30 episodes of Blossom. Um,
3: <laughs>
1: just a fun fact there. So anyway, there was this tape, and and they went over it on um on the Bill Bigsby Elvis Files special, and and it's a little interesting because uh, it sounds like him. And then Bill Bigsby got a uh, forensic speech expert to uh, match speech that they knew as Elvis's to this, and, and that person confirmed that it was the same voice. The speech talks about how it's difficult being in disguise, and he had to grow a beard, and he lost some weight, and he spent this time on an island. Uh, but the weird thing about it was you you only hear one side of the conversation. They they deleted the rest of it. So I don't know how much veracity there is to it.
0: Yeah, we I think Matt didn't mom and dad have
3: that book with the tape? Yes, I think they did.
1: Yeah. It was one of the more famous books about the you know, the whole Elvis Lives conspiracy.
3: I think wasn't the uh there was a it was Is Elvis Alive um by Gail Brewer Giargio? Um Yeah, and- that's the one. That's the, yeah, okay. But she was the main one that I think came out with the, um, the, the theory that he was working for the FBI and that because of that, he had to go undercover. And she said she, she did a free, uh, Freedom of Information Act request, a FOIA request. And because of that, she got all these documents that she just poured through and uh, found out that, yes, that's the real reason why uh, Elvis never
2: uh, never died. Wouldn't it be awesome if, if the FBI did use him as an undercover agent? They'd be like, they'd send him undercover on this first gig, and they'd be like, um, you're Elvis. <laughs> no, I'm not, baby. Yes, you're most Elvis. most
0: recognizable face in the world. <laughs> He's our choice.
2: It's almost the perfect crime because people would be like, No, this can't be Elvis. Is this really Elvis? What do you guys think
3: about uh, Bob Joyce, the uh, the pastor, preacher, Bob Joyce. <laughs> pastor Bob Joyce? Pastor Bob Joyce. He he really sings a mean Amazing Grace. If you've ever uh, checked him <laughs> out on YouTube, uh, <laughs> he he really does have a, a an angelic voice like Elvis did, and he looks and like him looks like too. Him. Yeah, he definitely yeah. looks like him. I just don't know if he's and old enough because a... Elvis would have to be eighty four today if he was still alive, which doesn't really seem that like likely, just based on his uh. His habits and his diet and his...
1: Somewhere in the comments section on one of the Pastor Bob Joyce clips I watched, it did say that Pastor Bob was uh, in his early 80s, I think. Hmm. But huh. Pastor Bob denies it.
3: <laughs> it seems like all the sightings have an old guy, an old fat guy with a white beard. Like, there's like yeah. there's millions of guys out there that look like that. I think
2: I've seen <laughs> 10 guys like that today. <laughs> Like there's one
0: that they always show of him in the background at, at Graceland at like the 25th anniversary or something. Fat fat guy with white hair and white beard. Uh, and then, yeah, you're right, Chuck. There's a recent one of the groundskeeper that looks like him. I did see another one. Oh, the Home Alone. In Home Alone, the scene where they're in the airport and the mom is trying to haggle or with the lady uh, getting her tickets. Mm-hmm. There's a guy that comes up to the counter and a persistent... Rumor for a long time was that that was Elvis.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the main the main points they pointed out was that one, Elvis loved movies, and two, Elvis loved Christmas. So <laughs> it made perfect sense um, to combine the two. Adds um, up for me. <laughs> That's why there is a real stretch to to um, to have some of these uh, theories be uh, be true. One, you know, one was that his uh, is a twin that died stillbirth was actually not didn't ever die, like the family kept him alive to someday become Elvis's body double, which <laughs> <laughs> which really seems weird because the parents would have had to predict that beforehand. It would be really inconvenient to have this and be in
0: Tupelo, Mississippi, the poorest of the poor and have to harbor this child for 21 years <laughs> yeah. until Elvis made it big. <laughs> yeah,
3: it doesn't seem likely, but that's, that's something that's circulating around currently is that... Uh, yeah, his brother is uh, really keep, uh, keeping the Elvis um, legacy alive.
1: There is one guy who goes by the name Jesse, and and Jesse was the name of um, Elvis's identical twin who died at birth. There is this really interesting thing that I saw about Jesse. So he claims that he's Elvis, and and that he was going to come out and from hiding, but it's this super convoluted story. And there is a clip on YouTube that I found where some local Fox News affiliates someplace followed this for a long time. And they got DNA from Jesse and compared it to DNA from like a liver biopsy from Elvis. And then they compared it to DNA from the autopsy and none of the DNA matched. Mm -hmm. So I I think that there are, you know, Elvis was so famous and so many people were so sad to see him go. Uh, I think it just attracts a lot of sort of fringe players and a lot of convoluted stories and a lot
2: of dead ends. He could have been Uncle Jesse on Dukes of Hazard, because Uncle Jesse <laughs> looks like Santa a little bit. You
0: <laughs> and Elvis loved Christmas. Draw some as we've established. <laughs> little known fact, Elvis liked Christmas. Which is uh You know, it'd be different if he was like a, like if he was like a super healthy, thin exercising guy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like saying, it's like hearing Dom DeLuise died and being like, no way, man, that guy faked his death. There is no way he passed (laughs) too soon. When you look at Elvis before he died, you're like, yeah, he, um, yeah, that's right. That's about right yeah there was, he uh, died
3: on the toilet, you know, I'm older than Elvis was when he died right now, so every time I had this real paranoid thought that every time I take a shit I'm gonna die like Elvis did, <laughs> <laughs> just like face down off the toilet
0: what so I've heard different versions of what book he was reading on the toilet, and I always i used to hear that it was the Bible um I think that Blackwood guy maybe I think that's what he told us was that it was the Bible it wasn't the Bible if anything the the main book. There's two versions. One is that it's this it's this book about the the Shroud of Turin, scientifically trying to prove that the Shroud of Turin was Jesus, and the other one that it was a uh, it was pornography uh, centered around astrology. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the Christian fans chose the Bible <laughs> versus the uh, complete opposite of that. I think those were his last uh, words, absolutely. wasn't
3: it? Uh, to his uh, girlfriend at the time was I'm going go to go read a book on in in the bathroom. I mean, <laughs> those yeah. are like the Some of the worst famous last words that you could probably utter.
0: Well, it goes back. I like to restate my theory that I'm trying to get going, but doesn't seem to have any traction, which is that the three most famous people died because of isolation, which is Elvis and Michael Jackson and John Lennon. Uh, isolation in one form or another, whether it was the killer of John Lennon being isolated based on John Lennon's
2: super fame. Michael Jackson and Elvis, there's a lot of uh, similarities there. John Lennon's, I guess, in that realm, but I get It works for my thing, though. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of in a whole different world of fame. Like, they're almost... Right. Another level of famous. Well, there's
3: one conspiracy theory that Elvis built a bunker underneath Graceland to house celebrities that wanted to fake their deaths. And because his daughter married uh, Michael Jackson, that Michael Jackson is actually down there um, with Elvis, oh. um, just hanging out. So.
0: And the chimp, Scatter?
3: Yeah, and the chimp.
0: <laughs> apparently, yeah, Scatter was like an alcoholic chimp. He died young. Chimps supposed to live. I love the word chimp anyway, but they're supposed to live a long time, but apparently Scatter died young, and, and it really tore uh, they got are say, really tore all of us apart, you know, when that chimp died. <laughs>
2: and, uh, chimp alcoholism goes sadly uh, unaddressed in today's world. <laughs>
0: But if you look at Elvis as a study in fame, you can kind of see how it progressed. He was an only child. His twin brother died at birth. He was a loner that suddenly got really famous. And you can see what the progression is to what happened to him from that. He's like a case study in in super fame as to how it eventually took him.
2: I don't have the answer to this, but did he ever, like, express to anyone that he was kind of just over being famous? I mean, I guess that would... Put a lot of credibility to the conspiracies if he just kind of well. There's
3: one theory that he
2: confided
3: in his doctor, Doctor, so-called Doctor Nick, um, and that, (laughs) and that uh, there was somebody close by that Doctor Nick treated that was about to die, and he kind of looked like Elvis. So Doctor Nick kept him on life support until Elvis thought, you know, until they came up with this plan, and then once they they had this plan, then they were. Then they were able to substitute the bodies, uh, so that this this random guy who looked kind of looked like Elvis would be take Elvis's place in the coffin. So I think Doctor Nick probably held the secrets to uh, to what Elvis had, either that or his private jeweler, who uh, Elvis really uh, confided in as well.
1: And then there's the story about after Elvis reportedly died, the black helicopter landed at Graceland several hours later, and people saw Elvis get on, and I, I forget if that went to Bermuda or Jamaica, but somehow hmm. he, he got out of town.
2: Am I the only one that's going to sing, Bermuda, Jamaica, ooh, I want to take it?
4: <laughs> okay.
0: Elvis was a serial, uh, he was, he was, he never was faithful to anyone, woman. He had always had to have a a different girl or new girl or girl with him wherever he was. But some, there's also been a recent book, I believe it came out this year, that talked about how it kind of frames him as a little bit of a pedophile. Uh, of younger girls and sort of obsessed with virginity.
3: Yeah, it seemed um, like fourteen was the was the magic number for Elvis.
2: How old was Priscilla yeah, when you, he, she was fourteen? I think
0: she wasn't. Or not even, just barely, maybe not even turned 14 yet, but the story of him meeting Priscilla is he, he met her and he sat down and was talking to her, talking to her, and then he turn he goes to, uh, one of his Memphis mafia guys and he's like, look at that. He said, he said Elvis kept talking about her, her facial structure and how it was the facial structure that he's been looking for all this time. It was odd. <laughs> and, uh, How he would, they would spend a lot of alone time together, like in the bedroom, and it never really came out as to what happened, but Elvis was theoretically trying to protect her virginity or something. Um, but yeah, there were some other issues with Elvis and young girls too. Now some of that is there. Everybody says, "Well, it was a different time." What do you guys think about that? When someone says it was a different time well, back
2: then, those rumors kind of fly around a lot about like, uh, wasn't there one or two members of the Rolling Stones that were with girls that age? And uh, they say it was a different time. That to me does not change. I mean, it doesn't change anything. They still knew it was wrong. Yeah,
3: and Jerry Lee Lewis was a double threat guy because wasn't he uh, married to his teenage cousin? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's wrong. It was also like 13. <laughs> yeah. That's wrong on two fronts. And Elvis kind of, he bridged the gap. It was funny to kind of read the history with Frank Sinatra to Elvis to the Beatles because Frank Sinatra, I think talked a little shit about Elvis. Because he wasn't really happy about mm-hmm. him uh, being in Vegas um, and then Elvis talked you know kind of talked bad about the Beatles because they you know he saw them as unpatriotic to America but the progression you know still existed you know even John Lennon would say um, you know before the Beatles there was, and before uh, Elvis there was nothing uh, which is a good tri- which is a good line of a tribute
0: yeah John Lennon was he goes I was standing in line for a movie. And everybody like me was standing in line, and we went in, and Elvis showed up on screen, and all the girls started screaming, and I said, that's a good job. That's his <laughs> quote for... Uh... I like the story about Elvis going to see Nixon. Elvis wanted to get a badge uh, to be an official, I don't know, a drug enforcement agent?
1: A special agent Meanwhile, of the, he's... the Federal Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. That's what he wanted.
0: Well, meanwhile, he's like super high the whole time. <laughs> and uh, But I, I think he, he also wanted to carry a gun across state lines or something. Yeah, I heard he it.
3: snuck a gun into the White House and uh, actually gave that to Nixon. It was some gun from World War II.
0: That picture of them together is the most downloaded uh, royalty-free picture ever.
3: So what's your guys' uh, favorite um, Elvis period? Because what's, what's great about him is he crossed so many different genres of music that really, whatever mood you're in, you can listen to some Elvis.
2: Oh, you're right. It like, mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. I'll tell you that I love like gospel Elvis. Mm-hmm. I went through a big phase of gospel Elvis just because, you know, usually when people try and retread stuff like that, it's it doesn't work well. But I mean... I feel like with him, it's just so soulful that you know, and from the heart, you know, you can tell that he cares about the subject matter he's singing about. Do you think it's weird that um, I, I wanted
3: to make a playlist with his songs that only that had the word blue in the title? Because I guess he had 15 <laughs> songs yeah. song
2: that,
4: that yeah. had
3: the word blue
2: in the title, so I think that'd make a good playlist for. You think they'd uh, get him with a thesaurus or something after a while? Like, <laughs> see other different shades of blue we can get you, Elvis.
0: One of my favorite memories was, uh, my freshman year, the dorms and <clears throat> we had four guys in our dorm and it was Christmas time and we'd play the same. We had a tape. It was a tape that my friend had gotten from a truck stop and it was called Christmas to Elvis. And it wasn't, it was, uh, Elvis, uh, backup guys called the Jordanaires singing Elvis's Christmas songs and then talking in between the songs, sounding a lot like Elvis. Uh, we would play that nonstop in the dorm. Christmas to Elvis. It was. It came out in like 1978, right after he died. Huh? Uh, Did you say it's one. called
2: the the Like the stuff you put on a the, sandwich?
0: Ah, uh, jardiniers. Jardinier. Jordanaire. Okay. Yeah, I think, Do you know what yeah, is?
2: Yeah, no. It's like what you like. What Chicago people put on like a like a sandwich. You put jardinier. Uh-huh, yeah. It's a bunch of like peppers and stuff. It's gross, but anyway.
0: Chuck, what's your favorite uh, time period of Elvis?
1: You know, I I go between two. It's so hard to pick one. I like the the early Sun stuff and the the early RCA stuff. You know, Blue Moon. His version's just amazing. Shake mm-hmm. Rattle and Roll, Heartbreak Hotel. But then, you know, he came back uh, after the '68 comeback special. In '69, he recorded these songs at American Sound Studio in Memphis and normally had record in L.A. or Nashville. And out of those sessions came the music that I really go back to the most now, which is, you know, In the Ghetto, Suspicious Minds, yep. Any Day Now, Kentucky Rain, uh, Rubber Neckin'. Uh, he did a version of Hey Jude. Just that stuff really gets me.
3: Mm-hmm. Is he the number one cover artist of all time? Because it seems like he sung, he sung a lot of everybody else's songs.
1: It was almost all everybody else's. He didn't get too many, you know, didn't have too many writing credits of his own. But a lot of artists, I think, worked that way during that era.
3: Yeah, and it was probably good because... the Beatles were unique. Yes, they were very unique.
0: Yeah, in that they did start writing their own songs. You're right, 50s guys didn't write their own songs a lot of times.
3: A lot of this stuff that Sun
1: recorded, different artists would come in and there was just a set standard list of songs that you'd go in and record. I think 50 people have done covers of Blue Moon. 50 or 60. Probably. And when Out I say people, lots of more people have probably covered it, but like there are 60 notable acts that have covered that song.
0: Right. The story of, I like the very early, like I, right before this podcast, I was driving and uh, just listening to um, That's All Right Mama and Blue Moon in Kentucky, which was the first A uh, and B side of the 45 that he released. But the story of, uh, how uh, that's all right, Mama came about was, you know, he had originally gone in and they started recording and he was doing more traditional as to what everybody else was doing, kind of like a, like a ballad or like a, I don't know, a crooner, maybe a little bit. And then it was like two or three hours in and they were almost ready to go. And the, the producer, he's a famous producer now. I can't remember his name, Sam Phillips. He just knew there was something special about Elvis, and, and I think he wanted Elvis to kind of loosen up. And so that's when Elvis just started singing That's Alright Mama in the way that he did it, which was different than it had been done before. And the guys playing backup behind him were just kind of following along, trying to keep up. And that raw uh, new thing that happened there with that song really changed, sort of pivotal a change in rock and roll. Uh, it took it away from a sort of... Uh, uh, blues, and bluegrass to actually rock and roll is the transition kind of with that song, I think. Uh, just because Elvis basically it was tired, it was the end of the day, and he was just going to pour out his heart and be original as to who he was. And uh, and that song came out of it. It's fascinating to listen to. It's really gripping to listen to even now.
2: So um, would you say, based off what you just said, would you say he's the first true like rock and roller? Because some people say like Bill Haley in the Comets or... You know, like, I've even heard Little Richard being credited as the first rock and roll. But to to me, I agree with what you just said. I think it's Elvis, like, as the first true, like, rock and roll guy. Just straight rock and roll was Elvis.
0: It's a true, he had her, like, it was a raw animalistic kind of energy yes.
2: Like for you know, the sexual sexual
0: energy, yeah,
2: it's the you know uh Ed Sullivan, where they won't show him below the waist because it's too provocative, right. you know that's rock yeah. and roll to me, so
0: if little Richard would might have been if he was white, maybe he would have been the guy to break in, you know, obviously yeah. there, people were looking for a white star to sort of carry over the black music to the masses, and it yeah. didn't hurt that he really he was, he was good
3: looking too, so that didn't hurt either,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, super good looking guy that the Memphis Mafia guys would say. He'd always look at himself. He'd just walk up to a mirror and just say, talk to himself and say, you are one good looking son of a bitch. <laughs> 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 that's, that's how i wish i could start every day
2: <laughs> i'm gonna get a, I'm get a mirror i'm gonna get a mirror in my office and i'm just gonna like paint that uh, that writing above it like a jefferson you walk by those mirrors and yeah. have the like you're a champion today or whatever i'm gonna put that above yeah. it
0: <laughs> but he had it's like i heard someone say um you don't become president by having low self-esteem they were talking about obama and even trump and you don't become elvis by having low self-esteem you know you become Elvis by like knowing that you're special
3: and really believing that Uh, any podcast or anything you want to plug Chuck
1: no nothing nothing for me to plug
3: I thought you were going to start uh, an only Elvis podcast called Chuck Kingcast is that in the works
1: (laughs) it's in the works (laughs) stay tuned
3: okay (laughs) Sure. Chuck,
0: we obviously didn't know each other that well. You're my brother's friend, but I remember the uh, only memory I kind of have, Chuck, is you were living in Park La Brea, and uh, you had a bunch of Elvis CDs in your apartment, and then the main problem that you were having that day is that you had some silly putty stuck in your back pocket of your jeans. Oh, <laughs> I don't you know, that.
1: I probably hadn't thought about that for, gosh, that 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah. I do remember that. That's, How that silly putty got there, I don't know.
0: Yeah, that could have happened to Elvis, I bet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or were they solely party called like... damn it. Um, <laughs> but yeah no, the CDs were great cuz I had joined Columbia House um, yes this was pre Napster pre digital media and what I had gotten was there was this great it was uh, a five CD set from the 50s called the King of Rock and Roll five CD set from the 60s which included a bunch of the movie soundtracks I think that was in Nashville, Memphis, and then there was this set from the seventies, and that was "Walk a Mile in My Shoes," and it just had most of the significant recordings. So that—that's when I really cover the whole catalog.
2: I think Columbia House is the ones that uh, wrecked my cre- my credit rating. So, <laughs> oh, I'm boy! Like, Mine is from a, a beeper. Please stop sending me Neil Young CDs. I don't know why you think I like Neil Young, or yeah, you, you have just have to have cancel a surplus inventory. So, <laughs> you have to cancel. I know. I tried. <laughs>
0: All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to the Think Funny Podcast. Uh, for Nate Sadler, Matt Donnelly, and Chuck Hoffman, special guest star, thanks for everyone for listening, and uh, check us out on Twitter at c one uh, Shoot us an email at thinkfunnypodcast at gmail.com, and we'll see you guys next week. How yeah, that's silly that's that's funny out there, I don't know. Yeah, that could have happened to Elvis, I bet.
1: <laughs> oh, we are really
4: silly party like, damn it. We're in a crowd can't walk out because I know you too much, baby.
0: Why can't you see what you
2: do?